0: Welcome to Remodel Your Life. We are shining the light on women working in the trades and remodeling their life into something better. Join a female cabinet maker in California in bringing together kitchen remodeling and working with your hands for a living. Welcome your host, Camille Finan.
1: When I first started my kitchen cabinet shop over 20 years ago, one of the things I was the most excited about was being able to paint the kitchen cabinets any color I wanted I love the flexibility and variety I could control, but for me, it was really pretty simple. I'd have a customer pick out a paint swatch, Kelly Moore or Sherman Williams, and then I'd get it color matched to my conversion varnish. Easy peasy. But learning about how hard and complex adding color to glass really made me appreciate all the experience and talent that it takes. So let's listen to Shannon and how she fell in love with colored glass from a master, James Nowak, and how that dramatically changed the trajectory of her glass blowing
0: forever. Uh, Getting there and having that class, he really inspired me for color. I mean, just unadulterated, unabashed, no holds barred. Here's how we put color on and. He was he again. I was really lucky. I found some really generous guys in the very beginning, and they were kind, shared everything. And the, I think what they realized is that when you watch these uh, masters or maestros or maestras of glass or wood or anything, whatever the material is, I, I think when you when you're lucky enough to find somebody truly who knows the medium, whatever that is that they all have this really sweet temperament that if you're just brand new, they rely on your enthusiasm, but they also respect your newfound passion. And when along my career in the first five or 10 years, I was lucky enough to find, you know, a dozen of those folks who were just so encouraging and would share everything, share knowledge You know, Glass has been around for 3,000 years or something ridiculous, and there's a lot of ways to do it, do it right and do it wrong. But, you know, they showed me just these little bits and pieces of information, and I just hung on to those like they were gold. Because I look back now, and they were. I mean, they were little bits of gold, and these guys shared them freely and had no expectations. So, so that was the first five or 10 years, you know, I cleaned a studio for a year and then I found a little studio here in Sacramento. And then back in 1977, this gentleman built this, uh, furnace for, it was for college use at Sac city college. And a friend of mine, the same guy I met at the, at San Francisco state, he's like, Hey, we're coming up. We're going to do glass blowing. You want to be our assistant? And I was like, sure. He's like, could I stay at your house? And I was like, yeah, of course. <laughs> so I was only a mile away from the school. But but the thing was, it was like access to glassblowing. And I was like, sure, you can stay at my house. I'll feed you. I don't care. And by the way, I don't want any pay. I want time. And so I traded my time. So if I worked, say I set up class. I was there at six. I set up class, got everything ready, all the teaching stuff. We did the class. And then for every hour I think it was like the trade was for every three hours I got one hour and that's how I learned to blow glass like at midnight and one and two o'clock at Sac City College but I had to have the studio ready for the next day so I did this really crazy you know schedule for like a week or two straight but it was super fulfilling it was like this super magical period where if I worked, I got access to glass in exchange versus paying $45 because that's really prohibitive, right? Because that's, you know, 45 bucks an hour is like most people don't make, you know, but minimum wage or as an artist, who knows what you make because you're obviously self-employed and you're doing that version. But but anyway, so so that really influenced how I teach. And here we are, we can fast forward, I guess, it's 23 years, Twenty yeah, 23 years later. You know I teach people and I do the exchange thing and it was um, there was a generosity that really influenced my career early and I think it's really important to share that I know that just for the record I'm an anomaly I know that it doesn't happen that often but that's how I do it I mean I do share my studio I'm more than happy to teach and I've taught lots of folks and, you know, whether they've gone on to be glassblowers or it's influenced their life in some way, I never feel like it's lost time. Mm-hmm. You know, they, and I think that I'm really fortunate that I get to blow glass with people. I enjoy being around. It's obviously a very intimate setting. You have the furnace and the gaffer's bench and the Marver table. And it's like this interesting little, I call it the uh, spiritual art triangle because, you know, you're in your right brain trying to figure out technique and create and what you're going to do. And, you know, that's a pretty special place as far as an artist is concerned. It's like, it's one of the, one of the few arts that you have to use an assistant if you want to go, you know, if you want to do a vase or a bowl, if you need some intricate things or you need help. I mean, I can do ornaments and paperweights and things like that by myself, which is cool. I mean that's definitely part of what I do. But if I want to go bigger, if I want to do a vase and one of my Monet vases, well, I need help because it's big and heavy and has lots of elements. So mm-hmm. it's in my best interest to, to to teach somebody. And if I'm really lucky, they're passionate their passion becomes you know it kind of influences what goes on in the studio as well. Even though they're a young glassblower, they still have that influence into the piece. And I always try to give credit. I think it's important to when you're sharing that vase or bowl and people are helping you or shielding you from the tremendous heat, you know, I think it's just not my creation. I think they're a part of it. And most people are pretty demure about, you know, accepting that. Like, oh, I didn't help. I didn't do much. I'm like, well, yeah, you did. You kept me from getting burned and you helped (laughs) me be able to do this. Otherwise I wouldn't have been able to. So it's really interesting how it affects what I make from way, way, way back, you know, 23 years ago, watching and being part of other people's generosity. You know, those guys, I went back and tried to find those two glass blowers, And I think they'd retired and probably moved back to Mexico. But um, I did find a guy who'd helped me early on. And it was really cool. I saw him at a conference years later. And I said, you know, I don't know if I've ever actually thanked you. And he looks at me kind of inquisitive. And I said, yeah, I wanted to tell you that of all the folks that I met throughout my career, I said, I really wanted to acknowledge that you were super cool to me and you gave me some really good advice. And fortunately my ears were wide open and I was smart enough and clever enough to absorb everything you said and then just keep asking more questions. And he smiled. He says, you know, people don't say that enough. But I said, well, I just want you to know today that I'm really grateful for who you are and who you were to me back then. So, you know, we talk about inviting people into, you know, as we're, the, the influences we have. You never imagine that 23 years later, I'd be on this podcast talking about my career, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And who knows that who, who, what this podcast will influence, you know, because glass is not necessarily the easiest trade. I can tell you it's super hard, super technical and expensive. So it makes it, it really narrows down our field. Mm-hmm. Or the opportunities, if you will. So
1: yeah, well, I love that you're 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 emphasizing, you know, appreciating all the the help that you got along the way by ninety nine percent men, right? And, right, and um, and just how they influenced your your technique now. And I also right. like about your story how giving sacrificing that time um, cleaning all those studios and helping other people it also gave you this huge um, window to get really good really quickly, right? Because you were able to practice a lot every day, all the time, right? And Mm -hmm. and anything in the trades, you need a lot of practice. And um, I think as beginners, a lot of times – you know, we think, oh, it's just going to kind of come kind of easily, right? But it takes a long time kind of to learn how to swing a hammer correctly mm-hmm. and, and do glass blowing. So I, I always like new people to remember, put yourself in a place where you can have a lot of practice around people that are really good. And it sounds right. like that's what you did. Basically, you put yourself right in the middle of it.
0: Oh, um, yeah. I think, you know, my, uh, my mentor said, make more, make more, make more and he says don't question just take the lesson well i kind of mm-hmm. embellished on this but he's he says basically handle your medium so much that you begin to you can begin to ask it to do things that it's typically not supposed to do and so when people watch me they're like oh that looks so easy <laughs> you know yeah. you're like mm-hmm. well it's uh we <laughs> it took 23 years to be an overnight sensation if yep. you will i mean yeah. and i'm i'm certainly not i never st- <laughs> i never set out to be the best glass in the world i just I set out to be my version of the best glass blower for myself. It's very, very individual. Um, Right. You know, the lessons I get back from glass are pretty profound. And so, you know, I talk about the process, you know, learning the process. And, you know, when they first asked me what I wanted to make, and I'm like, well, I want to make a teacup and I want to put a handle on it and I want a saucer. And they're like, you got to make a shot glass. I'm like, but you asked me what I wanted to make. (laughs) And they go, well, you got to make a shot glass. I'm like, well, I don't want to make a shot glass. I'm like, they're like, well, you got to make a shot glass because you can't make a teacup with a handle. And I was like, okay. And, you know, I, I made a, I made a shot glass. I made several. And they're lumpy and they're crooked. And my mom has them in a glass cabinet, you know, and. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, that's your beginner stuff, right? That's, that's when you were just learning the technique and stuff.
0: Right. Yeah. I finally did make a teacup with a handle and a cup on it and, and. It was hard as hell. It was really hard. <laughs> they were right. <laughs> I was like, well, that'll teach you to ask for that kind of stuff. Right.
1: Um that's great. Well, I love I love all the background and there's stuff in there that I didn't even know, which is which is really fascinating. So, but can you just sort of can we go back a little bit and maybe since I don't know anything about glass blowing, sure. Can you kind of give us an overview of maybe the different types of glass blowing and also sort of how the industry works? Like you mentioned um, you know, it was basically invented 3,000 years ago. Um, yeah. And you mentioned a couple different styles within that, but maybe just sort of how the industry works in your mind of sort of how you see glass blowing overall. And then what are the different types of glass blowing you can do or different sure.
0: techniques? Sure. So the different types of glass blowing or sort of under the umbrella of hot glass. First, we'll talk about the one that I'm most familiar with, and that's glass blowing. So that involves a furnace with blowpipes and lots of gas from PG&E, or if you have an electric furnace. Now, I want to put an asterisk or a pin on the electric furnace because I want to come back to that because that has to do with business. So there's glassblowing. And so you can approach that several ways. You can go to school. You can get a job cleaning, sweeping, you know, getting paid minimum wage. There are weekend courses. Groupon's really famous for promoting glassblowing where you can do like they call them experiences. You can do a paperweight, a flower, you know, our our place, you know, you can do pumpkins, you can do a couple of different things. And then beside that, there's flame working and flame working is uh, we sit at a bench and this is really blown up popular these last 10 or 15 years because it's affordable. You can basically go out in your garage, take some classes, you know, get to know your um, air gas supplier. And it's basically, uh, oxygen and propane, and you can melt borosilicate. You can different kinds And think of them as sticks or straws of, of glass, lots of different colors. Uh, there's fuming and there's a lot of, there's a lot of that industry. That's just tremendous right now. Beads, a lot of small sculptures. And then of course the, um, the, uh, pot community where there's, you know, obviously that's become legalized. And if you have any skill set, you, you are definitely getting your payday nowadays, but those folks have obviously been doing it eight and 10, 12, 15 years, but you can start by making marbles And marbles is a very big industry. Um, that's something that's really approachable. Um, it's all about just going to classes and learning new techniques. And, you know, when it comes to learning, it's just really, again, we're going to go back to just kind of grinding it out. I learned some basics, but then I've sort of been – I a—I guess I call myself the introverted extrovert. I do a lot of work at my studio, and so I don't have a style – oh, gosh. I don't have a style similar – It's say, we, we end up with the same thing, but my focus was putting it away, having some functional pieces to sell. Because if you don't sell your glass, unless you have some tremendous form of income – you won't be a glass blower for very long because like I just went to pick up supplies and a little box of color was, you know, $500. I could turn that into really beautiful pieces, but it's, it's a pretty expensive trade, but, but it goes back to, there's glass blowing, there's flame working, there's fusing and slumping, which is working with flat glass where you cut like, uh, like stained glass folks, how they cut glass you lay it on top and then you can put it into a mold. And so that's a little more static, although it's super dynamic. You can do lots with color. And let's say casting is another one where you take glass out of a furnace. So there's you can cast into molds. Um let's see what other thing is there. And those, those all, the
1: th- all of those except for the um the flame one, I can't remember. All of those require a furnace, though, correct?
0: Uh flat glass does not. You can actually buy bullseye there's a couple of companies that sell flat glass just like think of stained glass but it's a little more it's more opaque mm-hmm. uh and you basically can cut it to whatever shape and heat it up to 1550 degrees and basically make glass tiles oh That's but not a, need uh, a furnace okay but correct. what, what was
1: ju- the one where you're saying was more delicate you have glass rods
0: Oh, that's the flame working one where you can set up in your studio, in your garage. I mean, I I see, I see stories and pictures of people setting up in apartments. That's not something I would recommend, Mm -hmm. especially if you're new at it. I would just find a garage and, you know, it's oxygen and, and propane and you need a, you know, a table or a, you know, a nice desk and you usually put down steel so it doesn't burn anything, but you can basically do marbles and uh, really beautiful beads with lots of intricacies. I mean, that industry is phenomenal. It's and and the interesting thing about flame working is there's a huge proportion of women who have been doing it and are very very good. In fact, Northern California is known for some really amazing bead makers. It's like this little cluster mm-hmm. that just kind of developed over the years. And I don't think anybody had any you know, reason why it developed, but there's some really amazing glassblowers, flame workers within, you know, hundred miles of my house between here and the Bay area. So, but there's lots of classes. There's you know, there's institutional things like this place called the crucible where you can sort of dabble. And honestly, that's why I took that first class. Cause I, I was just so mesmerized. I was like, I gotta get my hands on this. And even though I wasn't very good, what I did realize was I loved working with my hands and I loved working with another person. Once we had, you know, if you were fortunate to have somebody that you could work with, it doesn't always the comma I used to say the common denominator was there's this big giant pot of hot molten glass and you had to get along. And then you just, <laughs> <laughs> you just had to, it's kind of like you're on a, you're on an Island and one, one somebody's good at, you know, hunting the other one's good at gathering water and you need each other to survive. And so You know, it it kind of brings out good manners and bad manners, if you will. But, you know, you had to get along because everybody was there because they all had their version of, like, holy cow, I love this hot glass thing. And, hey, will you bring me this bit of glass so I could do something fancy with my piece? So you Mm -hmm. just, you had to learn good manners. And and that's what I appreciate, the apprenticeship about it is, you know, while I didn't have anything formal, I just kind of kept asking questions and kept sweeping floors and, you know. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So that's, that's good. Um, so mostly, I, so what I got out of this is two, two big camps, which are, you, you basically need a furnace and you can do lots yep. of things within that. Uh, yep. but it does take some scale, right? A space and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then there's flame work, which can be much smaller, much more delicate, maybe much more mobile as well. Right. Um, so can you explain a little bit about what is glass blowing? Like you mentioned it started 3000 years ago. Like what started, what was the evolution in general?
0: Oh, the, the myth or the, the urban myth goes, there was, they were doing a lot of, uh, ca- uh, not cast glass, but they would crush, how did it go? So we tell the story all the time. So there was a riverbed and there was an oak tree and then lightning struck and hit the oak tree and caused a giant fire and oak burns hot. And it fell into the river and burned and burned, you know, because it was a dry riverbed and it burned because there was lots of sand and lots of bone and and weird stuff in the sand. And when the water came and washed it all away, they had this byproduct, and that was the beginning of glass. It's kind of like, it's kind of like the person who was so hungry, they had to figure out how to eat an artichoke. You're like, you must've been really hungry because I don't even know how you eat that thing. (laughs) So somebody had to have, you know, who, who knew, who knows who was there at that moment when somebody goes, Hey, look at that. Mm -hmm. Hey, we could crush that up and put it in a mold and pack it in and then heat it up in a clay oven and then make some vessel out of it, you know, from Roman time. You know, I have no idea their thought process. They were far more clever than me, mm-hmm. and bless their hearts for doing it. Because now we have computers and easy access, and it's expensive, but we have everything we need to make really beautiful stuff. So. <clears throat> let's see where was I about. Well so, just
1: what's the yeah what's sort of the origin of glass blowing like where do, well, do you know what country it came from do you know um, where Macedonia
0: it I think it was Macedonia um obviously the Romans and you know that kind of thing and then it as it morphed into the what is it uh, well let's go to the 15th century cuz that's where it starts to really make sense there was glass blowing you know right around there but the Italians were the first to make crystal clear glass Also, they call it cristallo. And it was a combination of a chemist and a glassblower. And at that moment in the 15th century, they came up with clear glass. And then they said, and then the priests were having, I guess they were getting older and they were having trouble reading transcripts and manuscripts of the Bible. And somebody decided to make them glasses. And it just went from there. And then, you know, concave, convex. Then you get the, you know, you get a microscope and you get a, you know, you know what it look at the stars and then they made flat glass and then there was this really combustible literally period of history where glass just kind of was like oh shit this is a really amazing medium uh and you know obviously it just kind of skyrocketed and now you have buildings with glass outside and mi- mirrors and we do incredible things, fiber optics it's just it's a really interesting uh medium and you know and i just try to do my version of it you know a mile little studio. So, you know, hist- historically it's uh, pretty profound and, oh, and then they decided, you know, then the Italians got really good at color and then, you know, using all the minerals, you use tin to get green, cobalt, obviously to make blue, copper to make light blue. So that, you know, it's like several different hats, you know, or degrees, if you will. Hmm. So it's one of those, one I really respected about glasses that I'll never be bored I'll never be out of something to do or something to think about with glass because it's so malleable, if you will. It's so viscous, just just as the property that it is. It just can do so many things. It can morph all over the place. I mean, they're thinking up some pretty crazy stuff. In fact, we just had a, a what do you call it? A price increase on our raw batch, which is what we used before it's like sand before it's glass. And he goes, yeah, sorry, I got to raise the price. And it went up 20 cents a pound for clear, which isn't that big of a deal. And I'm like, well, why tell me why he goes, Ellen Musk, <laughs> you know, the guy with,
1: yeah. yeah.
0: Elon okay. Musk. So he's, they're buying up whatever. There's one ingredient that goes in our clear glass and they're buying it all at lithium. Wow, uh, right. And so vicariously, I'm really happy for advances, but, and clear isn't, you know, it's, I say it's 78 cents a pound. And here's the other asterisk. I have a gas furnace and a lot of people got into the industry in an electric furnace. And the asterisk behind that is that you are almost already have to have your glass in melted form. In other words, it's called cullet. Well, it's gone through several different generations, but now it's up to if if you can find it now, it's to two to $2 and 50 cents a pound, which if you're just a little glassblower, that's really expensive. I mean, color is very expensive. It's $50 a kilo, $60 a kilo, but all these things start to eke away at any kind of, I don't want to say fun, but you have to get really good. Mm -hmm. And so if that's one of the things that pushes you to be uh, a better business person, my advice is, both left and right brain are really valuable as an artist. You know, you really have to push both sides of you if you want to short of just going to rent time somewhere. So Mm
1: -hmm. anyway, that's really, um, that's actually really good. I do want to bring up one little experience of your life that I think is really interesting to the listeners, which is, you you actually have quite a skill not only are you really good at glass blowing and teaching and a bunch of other things but yeah. you have quite a background in doing um, events and and really creating performances around glass blowing After learning about coloring glass I was curious about getting another perspective on learning glass blowing from the ground up but I'm going to let her tell you all about it Join me next week as we interview Catherine, who's a glassblowing teacher who's starting out in the trades. She's been in it a couple years, and she runs this amazing account called Glassy Bitch. And we're going to find out how she got her start and where she's at in her career right now. For listening to Remodel Your Life, I sure have enjoyed being with you today. And if you really like our show, we'd love it if you would subscribe through iTunes. You can always send us feedback through email at Camille at remodel your And I'll see you next week.
0: Thank you for listening to the Remodel Your Life podcast. This episode has ended, but your remodeling journey can continue. Head over to RemodelYourLifePodcast.com to access all the resources, tools, and links mentioned in this episode. Until next time, get your hands dirty and create the life you want from the foundation up. And
1: thanks again to Blue Apron. I just love cooking with them and so appreciate their support of my show.